the Tolnar have souls. They have souls. Um, and their souls act as conduits as well. All right. So that's, that's what I can say. Yeah. No worries. All right, Daedalus, you go. All right. Sorry about so, that. I'm no. sorry. I, I, no, you no, gotta, you, uh, the audience and the community at large need to understand that I absolutely yeah. want to reveal everything. <laughs> it kills me inside not to tell these things to you. As a matter of fact, when I would DM my campaign in Ashes, you know, 10 plus years ago, um, I almost would just, I would just blurt stuff out to the, t- to the, uh, to the, to the group, my adventurers, and almost ruin the story for them. Like that's how much I want to tell the story. The vision had returned, seeking him out yet again. The scenes before him shifted quickly in his slumber, a towering tree emblazoned in an aura of flame a massive behemoth raining destruction on a fleeing population. Finally, from the ashes he saw a hatchling burst through the cinder's surface, bound in an aura of rekindled and radiant flame. As he woke, the Pathfinder wondered why he had been granted these visions night after night, a question that would indeed be answered with time. Welcome to Ashes Pathfinders, your dedicated and trusted Ashes of Creation podcast. Join us as we share in the journey that reignites the embers and rekindles the flames in the hearts of those long left to cinder. I am your host, Phoenix, also known as Samorg. I am joined today by my returning Pathfinders. Welcome back, Daedalus. Hello, everyone. And welcome back again, our favorite social bunny, Basil. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> And of course, the original pa- uh, Ashes Pathfinder himself. We got Mr. Stephen Sharif, Sorcerer, Lord of Sandals. Oh, Sorcerer. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I'm a- happy to be here. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. Yeah. You know, it's really, uh, it was really funny, man. It's uh, here on, on Twitch and uh, the Streamlabs chatbot that we have actually created. We have mini games and you can uh, essentially like duke it out with... Uh, different um bosses that are part of these like mini games and uh i created one sorcerer lord of sandals oh nice <laughs> he's he is a raid boss so you got to have at least 25 to to handle that raid boss at minimum to try to take him on but um man before we dig in friends for this 100th episode gotta give a big shout out to the home of this podcast on asheshq.com <laughs> the community curated website for ashes of creation and also a shout out to all of the imperial flames all of you supporters here on twitch youtube patreon thanks so much for keeping this community's flames bolstering greater week after week friends much love to you all in the ashes fam and um this is where episode 100 begins we uh usually in true pathfinder fashion go through do any itunes reviews things of that nature. We had a call in, not going to do the call in. I am, however, going to read a couple comments. Um, we'll save the call in for next week because it's a little RP heavy and a little, I'm not too sure if I want to play it. You know, it's not inappropriate. It's just, it's a little, a little bit too, too much into the Kermit, the, the frog area of oh, like RP voices. So, <laughs> so we're just going to shelf it for next did time. Cliff, did Cliff call in? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so yeah we've got a we've got an itunes review i'm going to read ash's content and community ahoy 
Greetings if you enjoy talking about games and specifically Ashes of Creation, then this is the place to be. Content breakdowns, chat discussions, they do it all. And with a community that welcomes others to join in and be part of the community and game that we all hope will be the next great getaway. Hope to see whoever reads this in the next chat. Hearts, hammers, and cheers. Great Jedi, much love to you, buddy. And this one, this one comes from someone over on one of the podcast places, Joe. Being a middle-aged gamer, like many others, I have some early games that just connected with my soul in some way. Since then, the never-ending quest recap that feeling of belonging and community. My journey brought Ashes of Creation onto my radar. Sure, it sounded decent, maybe a bit too good to be true like many others. I have been burned by games claiming to be something they simply cannot deliver. Then I found the community behind these Pathfinder podcasts and finally felt I was home. That is like as wholesome as it gets. Yeah, that's that's love. That was... I was like, man, these people tried to get me to like tear up and stuff lately. <laughs> Seriously. Big congrats you know? on 100, though. Oh that's, a, that's a pretty big feat, you guys. Oh, man, Steven. Oh, <laughs> the journey. You have, you have been through it thick and thin <laughs> in the development process. Seriously. It's been fun to watch the discussion evolve and yeah. like change. It's also been great to see you guys as content creators, uh, you know just really refine your art uh, i'm looking at the the background right now on the twitch channel that's really cool i love what you did with the divine gateway i Thanks. like the moving you know cloak and the birds and leaves that's pretty i like it it's very yeah. immersive thanks man yeah it was uh it's like this is actually uh i think the lot was you know time I, i'm sure that you can relate to this right like a year just starts to feel like a, a week a day a year probably just starts to like kind of get clumped up into this period of time and you're not sure how far back it goes oh yeah but i think the last time i think you hopped on specifically where i'm going to reference is uh man was it like, i don't know it's like our two-year mark or something and uh, you had hopped on for that one around that time and uh that's when i had talked about how i had redone the uh like you know whole theme and all that so i actually found some people to do some work for me they took the art that I had kind of like put together and then they created this and some new stuff. And I was like, what for 100th episode, I just wanted to give it a good, give it a good rework. So yeah, it's very cool. Love it. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of questions today. I didn't want to make this like a super, just let's just drill Steven for as many questions as we possibly can kind of thing. I wanted to like kind of, kind of like mix it up this time. Like, really focus on like the community journey, like focus mm. on like the development journey. We have the perspective of Steven obviously here. So he can like kind of offer some of his own perspective on the journey that we've all been on. And here on the Pathfinder show, obviously a hundred episodes is a hell of a journey. Um, Absolutely. And I'll tell you the past mm. couple of weeks it has been an extremely humbling one. Uh, and I'm going to get into that a little bit shortly here, but uh, I have, I'm going to do a little teaser real quick, friends. I got something in the works for the Pathfinder show, a way to kind of chronicle our journey. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it'll be coming soon by the end of the year for sure. And I will offer you this one breadcrumb as a way to figure it out on your own. 
A secret lies at the beginning and end. The journey and their seeking began. Now, if you pay attention to the show, that'll make a lot of sense. But that's your breadcrumb. So be really curious to see who actually comes up with the answer that doesn't know it already. Is it 42? <laughs> no, I saw that joke. <laughs> I saw that too. It was good. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so I got to tell you something, Stephen. Yes. So for this episode, I was supposed to deliver on a couple things, and I'm afraid I failed. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I To be fair, I I got to sleep sometime, right? Like, So I was supposed... Oh, I mean, that's questionable, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. I, I've been reevaluating that aspect of life over the past five years, but I'm sorry, go ahead. That's fair. That's a completely fair point. Oh man. Uh yeah, like seriously though, I, I we did this thing that I talked about recently, and this community specifically raised uh, a pretty crazy amount of money. And we're gonna tie this into the extra life event. Um so for the people that don't know about a week before uh, Intrepid Studios did their, their essentially their charity drive for the kids of Reddy's Children's Hospital. They've done year after year. I remember the first one. First one was <laughs> you playing. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time, man. You were tired by the end. I remember. Uh, I played some Civ. We played yeah. some uh, Han. I don't know yeah. what else we played. At the at the end there, I was just like jamming to some music. I, I like went back and watched and I was like, oh my god, this is so cringe. What am I doing? Why is my head like going side to side? <laughs> yeah, stay with it. <laughs> well, we did a we must uh, go by the motion. Yeah, we, by the motion. we raised ten thousand dollars here in this community. It was like way over the expectations. I was like, I'll just aim for like a thousand if we can hit that. That's cool. Like that's pretty that would be pretty significant in my opinion. Nope. Yeah. Nope. It, it was crazy. I, I actually, I mean, we, we, we at the studio were shocked that you guys in the community at Ashes Pathfinders were able to raise ten thousand over ten thousand dollars um for the charity event. And and I think really um, you know, when I reflect on last weekend and you know, the previous events for Extra Life, um mm. I'm reminded of, of really what the importance of a gaming community can be, the impact that can be had, not just in our lives on a personal level and the relationships we forge, the friendships that we create, uh, but also the impact that we can have on other people's lives. I mean, it's a very, it's a very delicate thing when you're harnessing the power of many people for the forces of good, right? I mean, I don't want to get too RP here, but but in reality, we are taking what we do in this fantasy realm of online community and playing these games. And many of us love to play like knights and paladins and, you know, root out the evil in the story and, and kind of persevere in that sense. But just imagine that we now get to take that layer of this virtual fantasy world and we actually get to apply good in real life. Um, and that, and that to me is what extra life is all about. I mean, there are mm -hmm. people who are in need there. There are children Absolutely, who are in yeah. need and it, it, and it really is an amazing feat that you guys as a community were able to, to bring together and harness that power, uh, to bring $10,000, um, towards the charity event and the, the greater ashes community at large, bringing $88,000 total just in that one day is, 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 is remarkable. I mean, it, it is some warm and fuzzy feelings if I've ever had some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a, by the way, thanks for that, uh, that message last week too. We were doing our show and you like dropped that MP3 and I was like, 
that was really cool. Everybody really appreciated it. And it was really, it was really nice. They, so when I say I failed today, I, I'm sorry. I, I did. I, I will be honest. <laughs> I had milestones too. I was like, okay, if we meet some of these milestones, like I'm going to do some stuff for them. Like, you know, give them some of the merch here, do some art. Well, they went so far over. I, I have like four charcoal black and white on paper art pieces to do that I haven't done. And nice. by the way, 20 years. And Steven, you were one of them because that was a milestone if we hit it. And I was like, ah, we're not going to. I don't know why I underestimated everybody like that at that point. <laughs> but yeah, so I've got one of those to send you all when I get done with it. I was supposed to show it to you here on the show. Unfortunately, I didn't get done with it because I realized I've got to knock the rust off a little bit. And it's going well, That's slow. okay. Yeah. We we'll save that one for an Ashes Fan Friday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also have to let you know that Z, that's right. I see her in chat, by the way, was here and she was like, if you hit this marker, you should wear this shirt whenever you're talking to Steven. And it was uh, a shirt where basically it said sandals are only for summer. <laughs> wow. That's a false statement. I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. We made, we, made, <laughs> we made sure to quote her on the shirt. Unfortunately, it wasn't there anymore. So uh, it's not here yet, rather. So I'll have to do something with it later. But I, I can't tell you how many times as a Californian I've traveled to winter climates in the middle of, you know, 12 inch snowdrops in a single day. And I'm out there in the, in the wild with my sandals on getting the strange looks from the locals like, why are you wearing sandals? And I'm like, wherever I go, I bring California with me. <laughs> Man, you know, I guess the way to round this whole point off, though, is like uh, I got to give a shout out to everybody in my in my own community, the Guild Virtue. Uh, I've got to shout them out because they literally spearheaded this. And then all the light bringers, the people that are part of this community, the Pathfinders, the Ashes fam that were there, like seriously, everybody who did that, like I am humbled beyond words. Stephen, they they like had me on the verge. I like I was right there, just just tearing up a little bit. And uh, they actually, I actually had to like face paint too and be a character from Critical Role, which is Grog. I had to be nice. Grog from Critical Role. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I think that kind of answers the question. You know, as a human, separate from someone at Intrepid, what is something like? What is something like? You know, these initiatives to to give mean to you. Well, I, I think, um, you know, kind of what, what I said earlier is that, is that just being able to, to show the impact and, and power that lies within community and these, these bonds that we've built together, um, I, I think mm -hmm. that that is um, something that's representative of what we're building here in Ashes, not just the game, but the community, right? That, that yeah. is what makes a game. So um, it's really, it's been nice to see that even through development prior to the launch of the, of the game, we have such a strong community that we can come out and show up. I think for that day at that date, we were like the sixth or seventh, um, uh, project in extra life or excuse yeah. me, team in extra, extra life, uh, for turning out that fundraising. Um, and, uh, it, I think what it does is it, it gives us a very good look at the future of what this community is going to be. Um, because you, you, you look at this stage and you see the things that we're able to accomplish. I, I can't wait to see years from now what it's going to yeah. look like. Cause it's going to be something mm -hmm. I think pretty amazing. I agree. Agreed. So I'm going to get into, we're going to go round Robin a bit today. And I tried to pick questions that, you know, weren't kind of the same old, same old, something kind of fresh, something new, maybe a little bit of fun in there. 
Um, I'm going to start off my mine. So the origin of the game, I've talked about like how this all, I mean, you even talked about this on the extra life campaign, how it was this homebrewed D and D. Well, really was it, would you say it's D and D or Pathfinder campaign? It, it, it's Pathfinder. I mean, <clears throat> sometimes, sorry, sometimes I, I refer to it as D and T, but that's because Pathfinder is a, a, a tabletop RPG, um, mm-hmm. RPG that really comes from D and D 3.5. It's the like logical extension of D and D 3.5 edition. Um, and I felt that was the, the best edition of D and D, um, and Pathfinder kind of carried that forward. So then my question around this world, this universe that you put together is what influences did you draw from when you were creating the origin story, the world of Vera, when you brought it to the campaign, like what were some of those influences that you feel like directly contributed to this universe coming to life it's it's hard for me to pinpoint any one specific influence when i created the world of of vera uh and the ashes campaign um but i would say that there were some kind of staple and fundamental ideas that were had um i i am a big lover obviously of fantasy you know all those staple fantasies out there you know whether it be lord of the rings uh you know, Shinar Chronicles, like there, there's a lot of a lot of fantasy um, stories that I I love and pull from, obviously. Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting in the way that I had my adventurers back in the Pathfinder campaign uh, kind of arrive, you know, at this world and and kind of move around, um, is I also am a huge lover of the Stargate series, <laughs> and. Um, you know, the kind of inspiration that came from the idea behind the divine gateways uh, was essentially a method of travel that correlated to at least what I was inspired by uh, through the Stargate uh, SG-1, Stargate universe. Um, you know, these these I thought were great, uh, were great stories being told. And, and I did use a little bit of that inspiration. That might be something a lot of people don't know. Uh, but uh, you can see why, a little bit of the reminiscent as you're looking in your background of the stuff. Of the, of the yeah. Um, but yeah. That was too funny, man. I totally referenced that before. My, I have a younger brother who's going to love that way too much. I'm getting chills just hearing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and to, I guess I'll expand a little bit further on that. Cool. For those of you guys who, who haven't played Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, um, there is a type of transportation or teleportation that exists between not just areas on the material plane, but also many different types of planes that exist. Um, and while Ashes does have the concept of these planar realms, um, there is also, as shown through the Divine Gateway, the idea of separate planets that exist as well. So if you think of your D&D campaigns and Pathfinder campaigns where you have traveled to these other planar realms, um, you can think, obviously, just in the correlation between Vera and Sanctus, that there is this potential. Um, and the ways that the ancients travel through the material plane, uh, being in those harbingers, um you know that's another point of thought i have to be kind of careful what i reveal yeah uh, you know <laughs> but yeah. i will try i will try to tiptoe around <laughs> that's completely fair uh yeah just you know uh i guess we'll go around and want you daedalus once you once you get one of those questions we have some community questions that we curated too oh so. yeah that's right daedalus is the name uh-huh. of the earth ship <laughs> i don't know uh-huh. that's Indeed. any <laughs> 
Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Big, big time Stargate fan. So that that's good stuff. Well, let's 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 talk a little bit about the Pantheon here, Stephen. So will will every god in the Pantheon be open for players to align themselves to and even those ones that are considered corrupt or or evil? So the others, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> as they're known, and we haven't yet revealed really, um, you know, what sphere their influence lied in before they converted into the others, right? When they were originally part of the pantheon um, of good gods. Um, there will be quest lines. There will be um, certain actions that players are capable of taking to perhaps pursue um, the darker side of of this metaverse, so to speak. Um, so that will be an availability to players. Um, you know, there's such a, a rich... So, you know, originally when I took the Ashes campaign I had created for Pathfinder, you know, all of this stuff existed on a high-level point. Um, but <clears throat> something that's been interesting is you know, as I formed the game company, Intrepid, um, there's been now an opportunity to collaborate on these stories, to bring in other voices, to bring in other writers. Jeff Jeff Bard, obviously, being one of them, Sam, being another, and some other, um, you know, influences and writers as well. And that's really allowed me to kind of flesh out what has been the, you know, the metaphysical understanding of the Ashes universe into more elaborate and uh, individual stories. Um, and through those individual stories, there are implications that occur uh, on the meta story itself. Um, so part of that is the darker side, as you've kind of discussed. Uh, obviously, there's going to be the availability for players to pursue <clears throat> allegiances within within one of the great religions, um, but there will be an opportunity for, for players to also explore the darker side of things if they should choose. Fantastic. Cool. Well, Faisal, why don't you shoot a question over to Stephen? Oh, no. What? <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, can you explain to us how uh, ship, mechanics are, uh, ship mechanics are going to work when it comes to combat? Will we shoot spaghetti and meatballs against other ships when it comes to that? And will we voice the sails if we wanted to? <laughs> Um, so <clears throat> a little bit on ship mechanics. Um, you know, I had previously said there's not going to be gunpowder in ashes. Um, but mm -hmm. what there will be is something very similar to gunpowder, but it has more of an arcane nature to it. Um, mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily going to be explainable through the conventional means of chemistry and, um, you know, metallurgy and, and physics and whatnot, but rather, um, the essence is, is, obviously a core component to many types of magic um one of which uh is obviously going to be um evocation type magic um and that that evocation uh, you know has can have some explosive tendencies so uh yes there's going to be uh, ship bombardments that are capable there's going to be weaponry along those lines um the idea behind the ship itself from a mechanic standpoint is very similar to how players construct caravans now, in a caravan, you know, we've described that there are many sh components to crafting a caravan per se. Those components will have implications on the damage mitigation, on the speed, on the turn rate, on the ability to off-road, on the total hit points, on the cargo capacity. You know, the, as players progress within certain professions to create these types of 
uh, additional components for the caravan. The same is true for the shipbuilding side of things. So you can have the base value of a hull, and that hull might have certain, you know, placements that are available when it comes to utility slots and or weapon slots for the ship. Okay. Um, but essentially, you're also going to have that hull itself be augmented by uh, uh, constructibles via the shipbuilding profession. Okay, cool. So, fairy dust with uh, Dawnbreaker mount horns and hooves, <laughs> put it in a cannon and fire away. Exactly. Fire away and let the magic happen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Out it'll fly to the tune of some Disney. No, I'm just, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, will you be voicing that? No. <laughs> that that was definitely embarrassing. Oh, but uh, it, was, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Hey, you weird. rocked it. I was like, I remember yeah. when we were watching. Awesome. I was like, wait, what? I was like. They make it well, to, to be fair, when I was younger, I was in the uh, Indiana State Choir, uh, and then I also was in the uh, UCS, uh, University of California, San Diego uh, ensemble uh, we had uh, as well. <laughs> so I used to sing a lot when I was younger. That's awesome. Now I'm resigned just to the shower. <laughs> or charity <laughs> events, apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh, man, you know... It was really great during the, the Extra Life live stream when you you brought up the light pact again because you you know me as the paladin nerd I am was like oh the light pact I was like super excited about it and um so I remember we had been reading through like the APOC lore and there was a pretty significant like when you if you went and read all those quests like we've done here there was like a significant amount of lore that tied into different points in time. And a lot of people were like, oh, I don't know if that's real. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I think that's real. And then you brought up the light pact again. And so I don't know. You know, I I remember reading about them previously and you brought them up again. And they reminded me in some ways, like not directly like the fellowship from Lord of the Rings, but it's like, let's gather our champions or our people that are going to figure out what these harbingers are, like what's going on, what's happening. And it seemed like over time, their role evolved into really trying to to maybe stop. And so I've perceived them uh, as almost like being this group that was aiming to try to save everybody. And then they, I guess, I don't know if I'd say that they failed. Would you, do you feel like that's an accurate statement? Well, failure inside, excuse me, the, the term failure uh, in my mind uh, implies a finite end to a challenge and or mission um while it was most definitely a setback that their endeavor to stop the apocalypse uh failed in that sense mm -hmm. there is a longer game at play uh, and there are certain individuals that exist either within the you know the light pack itself or um or within the higher-ups of of the particular religions um that has a, a longer objective at hand. And that, that probably ties into more closely what the arcing, the overarching meta narrative is for the what reason why you're returning to Vera. Um, and it's that long play. Um, what I would say is when you think about the light pact and their affiliation with the different governments, as well as the different religions, um, you know, you, kind of the inspiration for where that comes from is a lot of the old, like, you know, catholic stories you know the 
the idea of these knights templar and you know the holy grail and you know that kind of stuff kind of kind of this 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 legendary old idea of good versus evil you know these kind of forces that occur in in the illuminati and these like organizations that not a lot of people know about in that sense you can you can kind of take inspiration where maybe the light pack came from in that in that regard um, you know, these are these are an affiliation of orders, orders that exist to different temples and religions of the primary gods. Um, and even though they have different focuses and, and reason why their followers worship specific gods, at the end of the day, they're all a pantheon of good. Um, so there's a reason for them to work together to subvert the goals and or aspirations of the others and the ancients. And those who seek to pervert uh, what the essence is capable of through the means of corruption. Um, and, you know, they may not have all of the knowledge because uh, originally when the apocalypse occurred, um, you know, well, I probably shouldn't get into that, but. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you gave us some really great information. It was much, much. Uh... Uh, I guess you could say richer answer than I would have anticipated. So I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, Daedalus. Yeah. And, and just, just oh. to be real clear, one, one other thing, um, you know, I notice, you know, <clears throat> sometimes games in the past have mm -hmm. kind of tried to shy away from heavy emphasis on religion. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because of the parallels that can occur between what is in the real world and this fantasy realm. And, um, you know, I, I don't really subscribe to that theory. I think that religion plays a very significant role in the story of what Ashes of Creation is about. Um, and it is very much this almost monolithic idea of good versus evil. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, that is that is really at the crux of what the overarching narrative will be in the game. Um, and, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to pigeonhole players into everyone has to be good. Like I said earlier, there will be opportunities where players have the ability to to kind of deviate from that. Um, should they should they so choose to role play in that regard? Um, but yeah, yeah. You realize that you have like a ton of people nerding out really hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do keep lore relatively close to the chest. I, know, uh, I, I am I am happy to talk a little bit about it. I won't, you know expand too much and i'll let you know if we're going too far absolutely um, but again it, it's important to me that you know it's one thing to set the stage for what you will experience and it's another thing to spoil it true. um so yeah, true. so i i think it's great you know I'm, I'm okay with setting the stage to a degree so people kind of are aware the context in which they're they're entering this world um, but at the same time, you know, I, I do not want to spoil that experience. Absolutely. I would definitely not encourage you to do that either. Um, Daedalus. Yeah. I feel like I got the best segue ever cause I've got another religion question. So I'm loving this. Um, so, so question from Silvermane from the community said, um, is there a Tolnar or Underrealm religion? And if so, is it tied to the corruption? <clears throat> That's a good question. So essentially the, the, the progression of the Tolnar, while there are still the staples of what were once the primary deities of the good pantheon remain for the Tolnar over the time that they existed and evolved into the society that they are at the return to Vera, um, 
it's much more similar to kind of at least the inspiration that I derived for their particular religion was the way that kind of the Creole religions advanced with using kind of components of Christianity as well as voodoo and, you know, these other kind of smaller, um, uh, more pagan-esque religions and incorporated them into one. To that degree, you can correlate the way that society around the Tolnar, you know, has this almost combination of what were pagan beliefs from the minor races, as well as the introduction of the major beliefs and religions from the major races, because they all came together in the underrealm and survived in that regard. So you're going to see naturally a, a combination of those two things. Amazing. Wow. Faisal, you're next, buddy. <laughs> Round Robin. Okay, this one, this one comes from the community and it comes from Kat. Um, Stephen, most of the creatures have been clear hybrids of IRL animals. And which hybrid combination is the ideal slash favorite? And tell him, she wants me to tell you, I'm waiting on my epic wolf mount. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can answer which, uh, is, which hybrid is the best, so to speak. That would be highly subjective. Um, but I would say that it's an accurate observation that many of the creatures that have, have been seen thus far have been a, a, an example of kind of these uh, merging of different types of animals. animals. I would say don't read into that too much. I would say that even with the most recent reveal as of last weekend with the ancients, um, you're starting to see perhaps an influx of, of completely unique uh, creatures. I will, see, I will say that as we move forward, in development past Alpha 1, you will see more unique creatures get defined. Part of the reason why you're seeing kind of more combination-oriented creatures is... <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, is that uh, initially, from a foundational standpoint, we want to establish what are, uh, in, in animation, from a developer standpoint, uh, these base skeletal rigs. Um, and the skeletal rigs adhere to specific types of species, whether they're bipedal, quadruped, um, unique skeletons, flying, uh, flying skeletons, uh, dragons, stuff like that. We're kind of establishing the baseline when it comes to, to uh, rigging and animating these special skeletal uh, uh, meshes. Um, and we're, we're, as we work through the process of creating these now, these 3D models of the creatures from the character team to give to the animation team, they're doing so in order that that accommodates the skeletal rigs that have been made. Um, so, so that that I think is just a happenstance. I wouldn't read into that too much. <laughs> Honestly, oh, and, I, and I'm sorry, real quick. Somebody said mm -hmm. flying skeletons. Um, when I'm saying skeletons, skeletons are essentially the the bones and joints that exist under the character model that you can't see. And an animator, mm -hmm. when they kind of animate, you know, a creature they're taking those skeletons and they're capable of, of deforming and, and moving the, the, the mesh around via mm -hmm. the use of that skeleton. So what happens is you get similar run cycles and walk cycles and idle animations that get applied to the skeleton. And that, those types of animations make sense for, let's say, you know, a lion and a cougar or a hyena, right? There's like a, a, a blend of species where you can share these animations across the different meshes and that's really one of the most effective ways that we're capable of actually creating an mpg because there's so many creatures that exist you have to share where you can 
Steven, I thought when you said the baseline, uh, I thought for the like creatures creation, like that Dawnbreaker mount is like your baseline. And like, I thought you guys are going to transcend even more than that. And I was like, what are they going to create? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fun stuff that's planned, especially with the way that um, animal husbandry is intended to work. There has to be combination points where you know the creature gets cut at the neck or the leg or wherever and um there are swaps that are capable right animal husbandry mm -hmm. is meant to be a pretty diverse uh profession uh one that obviously has a significant importance because you know players and mmos love their mounts um and and we wanted to do something pretty unique in that regard oh nice so I've got a couple other ones that really tie into lore uh, a bit more. And I know it's not going to be to dig too much here, but then I'm going to hit on some community questions that were actually really good ones, uh, especially reflective of the fact that there's been a massive journey for a lot of us here along the way. Um, man, when you talked about the soul as a conduit, that was, that was fascinating. Um, yeah. And I, I was, it really intrigued me. It, there were a lot of things that really reinforced some of my own kind of theories um, and there was a question from the community that actually tied into something I wanted to ask about, which was, it's a kind of a two-parter and it's like, you know, what was the reason for the gods to create the four divine races after what happened with the ancients? Um, mm. and then what's the reasoning with wow. the souls being something that could be manipulated as a conduit? I have to be really careful. It's fair. Uh, fair. I, gotcha. <laughs> I have to be really careful. I know. I know. Um, so, to touch on this lightly, cool. um, souls acting as conduits is a is a very a very integral component of some broader features in the storyline. Um, and if you think about souls being a conduit for essence, and you think of the gods as a as sort of masters of the essence, right? Mm -hmm. If you think of the essence separate from the gods, let's say they're parallel to each other. One didn't create the other, right? But they coexist in this almost symbiotic form with one another, almost to the point where their manipulation of the essence is perfection. They, they can perfectly manipulate it, right? And lesser beings, and I say lesser in the sense of, of their alignment or closeness to essence, they're still perfecting that manipulation and some never achieve perfection, right? Uh, almost to the degree that you would think of ascendancy or enlightenment, right? Essence being that sort of chi that exists. Um, in that regard, when, when a perfect being such as the gods, uh, and I'm not saying perfect as in the correlation between sin and not sin, I'm thinking perfect in the sense of how you can control and manipulate the essence that control is perfection from them um, when you think about souls being a conduit um, what are conduits used for conduits are passages they're, they're methods by which essence can travel between realms between planes um, and there hasn't been any definitive understanding of just how many planes exist we understand that there's a disparity between the planes when it comes to their connection to the essence. And because essence is so powerful and it flows through these planes almost like a river, right? You can think that conduits help to maintain that flow and or even exaggerate the flow. Um, and there might be something at play that I don't want to touch on necessarily 
um, as to why one would want to create these types of conduits, these souls, this creation on the material plane, something of significance. Um, you know, yeah, just to touch on a little. Sorry, I don't want to. No, that is an epic tease, man. That that's going to give people so much to speculate around for like months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. We'll see what. Oh, go on, go on, Faisal. You have a question? Were you going to say something? No, no. I just said like I can so see that like the amount of like, amount of work that's people just going to theorize on this. Yeah, <laughs> like like us right here. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Uh-huh. Uh, the other the other question I'm going to ask before we kind of head back to Daedalus here is, uh, are the souls of the Tolnar uh, any different than the other races? And then do souls exist the same on Sanctus, um, other planes, etc.? Um, I can't answer the Sanctus one. Fair. <clears throat> and I would hate to answer the Tolnar one. Fair. But... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to steer I'm going to steer clear of those two questions. Uh, but what I will say is that, um, hmm, what can I say without revealing too much? Uh, the Tolnar have souls; they have souls, um, and their souls act as conduits as well. All right, so that's, that's what I can say. Yeah, no worries. All right, Daedalus, you go. All right. Sorry so, about that. I'm no. sorry. I, I, no, 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 you gotta, you, I, the audience and the, the community at large need to understand that I absolutely yeah. want to reveal everything. <laughs> it kills me inside not to tell these things to you. As a matter of fact, when I would DM my campaign in Ashes, you know, 10 plus years ago, um, I almost would just, I would just blurt stuff out to the, t- to the, uh, to the, to the group, my adventurers. And almost ruined the story for them. Like that's how much I want to tell the story. So I apologize that I can't reveal everything. It, it definitely kills me. <laughs> no, it's totally cool. I mean, for even for me, like it just my my speculative mind it kind of goes, hmm, that might have just helped me reinforce my theory a little bit, even though it's <laughs> actually no answer. It's fine. Totally cool. I totally understand that. Uh, Daedalus and and definitely no reason to apologize either because you got to keep some of this close to the chest the way you want to deliver the lore to people so all right so I want to talk a little bit about you know again religion because this has kind of my, been my theme here for this stream today but <laughs> but um similar to the ancient monsters that were revealed on the extra life stream where as you kind of gain more power they had like, you know, abilities to shapeshift and form wings, like demonic wings. Are you planning to have a similar shapeshift type of capability, even if it's in a limited form, as players gain more favor with their religion or their deity? So to be clear, any form of changeling or shapeshifting that's capable is done th- is done so through the essence, right? Um, and the essence can actually, over time, as these conduits become more... So I guess <clears throat> there's a few ways that, that a soul can become attuned to a specific type of magic in, in, in manipulating the essence. And over time, as you manipulate the essence in the same way, you can start to develop a tendency, your, your soul does, towards gravitating towards that type of magic. 
Um, so in that sense, uh, those shapeshifters and or changelings that are capable of, of changing their form, <clears throat> they do so because they have mastered to a degree that type of magic um, and their, their souls have become attuned to that type of magic. Um, the ancients, on the other hand, uh, their body forms, um, they're less, and I don't know if this impression got given off, but mm -hmm. they're less changeling slash shapeshifter oriented and they are mm -hmm. more sedentary in their, in their uh, physical form. Um, meaning, you know, they don't really change them often, but the reason why they look different from one another is over time that perversion does manifest itself not in a not in the same sense as shapeshifting does where you can you know change it at on on key but rather through generations of honing their specific caste because it's a caste-based society they have they are literally bred into a role and that role has perfected over time because through the delineation of specific subsects of the soul of the conduit that these these this race has, those different castes become tuned to different roles, and that's why they are traditionally in a caste society. Um, and that is also going to present itself in a physical form. So you're going to see grunts, you know, that are specifically geared towards a, a type of combat or type of magic utilization or specific climate and environment. You're going to see lieutenants and captains and you know, generals and then raid bosses and all these that all take different forms because their whole perversion of essence and through the corruption is to take creation on the material realm that the pantheon of good gods did and twist and bend it to the corruption that exists within essence. Because they view that as a more powerful form, a more raw and arcane form of what magic is meant to be used for. There's no point in these false constructs of morality when utilizing and harnessing these the power that comes from the essence. That that is a that is a social construct that was created by inferior gods, according to the others, right? And mm -hmm. it limits the ability of their creation to really capitalize on what the essence is to be used for in its pure innate nature. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's some good stuff. Right. I could see face lighting up there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is tying into so many things I've talked about with people. This is going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to go back and Hazel. tie this in. I, I like Cabal, Cabal Gaming said, so the ancients are the good guys? The others did nothing wrong. Well, I think we know what path he's going down. <laughs> true, true, true. Pretend of no way. That's going to be like, whoa. Like, apparently his, his soul got corrupted, as you can see from his background. Oh, come <laughs> on. No. No, that, listen, that's the Phoenix aura. Boom. And that's all I got to say. Okay, Phoenix, my okay. friend, go ahead. <laughs> we know that the Phoenix died at one point, so <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Okay, hold on, Faisal. You you get your you get your question now, Mana. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to the uh, freehold skins, does it apply to every tier? And when it comes to emerging, um. Does it break the emergent like you, you had a couple of uh, orcish or the latest one, which was the um, elfin leaf Ottoman house? And how would 
that look like in a desert biome or a snow biome? So um, the artists are really good at what's called blending, right? And um, when, when you consider these assets on a freehold and you understand the size of the freehold, I mean, the freeholds are actually fairly sizable. Um, there's an opportunity there that the artists have in blending different types of uh, influences from the artistic direction of these particular assets with each other. It might, you know, there's an opportunity and I, and I, I can't necessarily um, give you a definitive on this until we actually see it. You guys can see it, right? I can explain it. But when you guys see these different things, you know, amassed on a, on a single freehold, you'll be able to understand. Um, there is obviously going to be some competing visual aesthetics with regards to these different types of skins. Um, but I think it will it will look appropriate. Uh, and I think the art team has done relatively a, a, a very good job in creating a visually aesthetic world. Uh, and they will continue to do so with the differences of cosmetics that are available. You just have to kind of wait and see. <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> Faisal. I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question real quick for Faisal, because I, I know he's probably a little shy about this one. Don't, don't you turn away from that camera. Don't you do that. <laughs> don't you turn away from the camera. This was actually presented by someone else and it's, it's really more for the lulls, but I'm still going to ask it because I was, we got to clip Faisal's reaction. Will Faisal see a bunny outfit in the game? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think there is a bunny outfit in the sense that you're thinking. No, I don't think there's I like win. there's not like there's not like mascot looking um you know oh, furry right. cosmetics so to speak, right? Um so yeah. That's fair. Okay. So <laughs> this is I... this is a little bit more on the realism side. Yeah. Like, I understand a lot of us have played many Eastern games and, you know, there's a tendency in those types of, um, of those, uh, 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 Eastern influence games to have a little bit more, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, not realistic looking costumes. Mm -hmm. Um, but we try to stay a little bit closer to the realism side of things so that the immersion isn't broken when you're walking past a dude in town wearing, um, you know, a, a tank top and jeans, um, or a giant bunny outfit. Right. Um, like, and I'm this paladin walking past this dude and super serious. And like, you know, it's like, huh. All right. <laughs> yeah. The RP walk. Can't break my immersion with that bunny outfit. That's, yeah. That's not to say we can't have fun and monster coins exist. You can become literally a monster. Yeah. Uh, and there might be some crazy looking bunny monster. I mean, you guys have seen a couple, um, yeah. and you know, maybe there's through the progression in the monster coin system, there are cosmetics that you can achieve, which do reflect the monster itself, um, to a degree, but you know, it's not going to be kind of what we're accustomed to, like, let's say an arcade or something, right? Remember those sets of crazy costumes. They did, oh yeah. They so, did, you killed me, that change dot org comment. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm putting it out there, man. Change.org. Let's get a poll going. <laughs> oh so this is actually, this question then, I'm going to ask a couple shorter ones and get onto it. One with maybe a little bit more meat to it. Uh, this one comes from uh, one of my friends in the community, Psychophobic. Do the ancients or the ancient being showcased in 24-hour live stream have some tie-in to monster coins since we talked about that? 
So traditionally, the ancients are not going to be part of the monster coin system. All right. These are these are the primary antagonists of the story. Um, they're from a lore perspective, and one of the reasons why they're not a part of the monster coin um, uh, system is because essentially their souls have really developed almost you know almost to the point of perfection in manipulating the 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 essence for more corrupt uses they haven't quite gotten there um and who knows if they ever will mm-hmm. uh but um uh that kind of attunes them out of the possibility of the re- at least for the reason why the monster coin system is possible with other creatures um so i don't want to get too much into how the monster coin works from a Fair. from a uh a kind of um what leads your spirit to be to experience the experiences of the monster that you're inhabiting per se um but suffice it to say you cannot use them on ancients that's fair um this this may be another short one this one comes from wizzy and i'm also uh really gonna be like yo i really want to know this too well there is there a chance we're gonna get like a guild calendar built into the game if so will it have any kind of functions that you oh share? yeah like my, my you know we just brought on a actually we just brought huh. Two weeks ago, we just brought on a outsourcing company to kind of help with a lot of the website-related backend stuff that, you know, had needed some updating. Um, and uh, part of what I think their objective is going to be is also to work a little bit on the, the mobile companion app as well. And to elaborate a little bit on, as you were asking, for a calendar specific to dates that you can have essentially running as reminders in your guild UI, this will also be something that I would like to have available on the mobile companion app as well. So essentially, you can receive notifications via a calendar update on guild events that the leaders and or officers have the ability to pin, uh, to pin uh, within the game will also give you notifications on the mobile app as well. That's my intention, at least. That's what nice. I'd like to do. Um, for mm-hmm. me personally, being a guild leader of very large guild in the past, um, these types of... of um, you know, administrative functions are, are lifesavers uh, for guild leaders. And, you know, just to take a second here real quick, guild, guild leaders are a very important part of the community for MMORPGs in general. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, it's one thing, I, I think of like, you know, the queen from the board, like where I, I bring oh, order to yes. chaos, right? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, yeah. to, to a degree... Guild leaders are that order to the chaos. You know, they help to organize. They do so through lieutenants. They do delegate responsibilities. There are good leaders. There are bad leaders. But essentially, it's a highly social environment. And if you can find a good guild, and that guild is augmented with complementary services from the company, from the game itself, it just makes that life easier, and it allows them to execute better. Um, so, in my opinion, you know, that is a, that is an important an important aspect. Yeah, all I all I heard was "We are the Borg." We will add you uniqueness to our. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I'm a huge Star Trek. Fan. Oh man, I, the I first thing it, I thought of when I thought of Same. Guild, I was just like, "Order to chaos." Chaos. Then my mind immediately is like Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Picard's my hero for sure. And, you know, side side. Picard or Lacutus? 
Ooh. <laughs> Honestly, they both were pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, you know, funny, fun, fun little uh, fact in our Slack. And for those who don't know what Slack is, it's a, a messaging platform for usually for professional yep. settings, like companies and whatnot. Um, it's kind of like a, a little bit hopped up discord, but with like different <laughs> channels and whatnot yeah. for corporate setting. Uh, my uh, avatar on my Slack name is Captain Picard, and John's is Locutus. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, dude. Yeah, Locutus. Like, I love First Contact, man. That was a great. That, that movie was like one of my favorites. Oh sure. yeah, First Contact was oh, great. Yes. Why they Why they didn't go back to the Stone Age though? I didn't understand. <laughs> what <is> Stone Age? <laughs> <laughs> they had to go back to like just after world war three it's like no go back to the stone age and like assimilate the neanderthals yeah. that's a good point okay now this one comes from troll one of my virtue guildies uh when finding the team to make this project what was the most inspirational thing that you told other developers to get them on board that's a good question um you know i've talked a little bit about obviously how you know, initially I had known some of the developers from Sony Online, at least mm -hmm. through kind of my tabletop gaming with Warhammer that I enjoyed uh, the hobby. Um, but, you know, as I interviewed more people, um, I think what was what was captivating were probably three things. Um, one, they weren't going to work for a group of investors or company board or some, you know, baggage that had existed with, you know, just, I guess, a lot of what's in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. Two, my approach to the company from a culture standpoint is really more family-oriented. Um, you know, we have a relatively flat structure, uh, and, you know, there's an opportunity where I'm working very directly with individuals, and I have a very clear vision of the design of the game uh, and the, the story of the game that I think gives a sense of, steadiness uh because maybe other developers are used to constantly changing directions <laughs> and that can be uh it can be <clears throat> at least from what i've heard um it can be very um very interruptive to the process um and then i think the, the probably the third thing that struck home with people is that here is an opportunity to be a part of an mmorpg at its at its ground level at its inception level um, and that's always a fun idea because as a developer, oftentimes you come on board a project and there's already, you know, an established process. There's already an established, you know, code base and who knows if you can even find your way around that, you know, like, like there are things that really kind of take the creative voice out of being a developer on a project because that creation has already occurred. Um, and the way I approach developing ashes is i like multiple voices i like opposing voices i like you know and i like really all possible avenues that can be taken in development not just from the community in our feedback we receive from you but in the developers as well i want my team to feel invested in the project both not just from a, a working standpoint but from a creative process from from being an architect of this vision um you know that that's something that's important to me and i think that that's a, a gives a good sense of fulfillment um you know especially for those who are more passionate and creative uh and i always make it an a um, um 
I always make it a point to to talk to them on their interviews about what motivates them to apply to Intrepid and what why they want to work on an MMO because an MMORPG is a a giant project. It is the largest game development um, you know that's that's really possible. Uh, and um, ours is just an extra pinch of of awesomeness because it's that ambitious. So um, you know, oftentimes when I interview people now, and you know, we are almost at you know a hundred strong in the at full time developers at the studio. Um, my like final line of defense for a newcomer is, um, are you sure you want to be a part of this project? <laughs> like, do you understand the commitment level and the you know? what it takes because it is no small cookie um you know this is uh there are so many moving parts that uh, it is easy to get you know lost in that regard um but uh yeah i I think uh i think really just being at the ground floor opportunity of something that's going to be pretty big uh is a huge inspiration for people yeah outstanding now we're getting a little i know we're about at our hour mark if you got a little more time steven yeah, we can we can do we can do two more questions. Cool, perfect. Uh, we'll go ahead and do one more from Daedalus, one more from Faisal, and we're going to get this thing wrapped up, friends. Okay, um, I'm going to give you the the token bard question from the Herald here. Uh, will a bard uh, equip instruments like a weapon, or are instruments connected to particular skills? So that's no. a good question, and to be perfectly honest, that is something we are still theorycrafting with. We haven't touched the bard um, yet, honestly. And we have a lot of different prototype designs that we want to try first, obviously. And we can prototype very quickly. And after we kind of get through the Alpha 1 process, we're going to prototype very quickly on those to get them up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, my initial idea is that the bard instrument, and that instrument doesn't have to be musical. That instrument could be literary. It could be uh, vocal. It could be instrumental. It could be, um, you know, kind of really the the gambit of what makes a bard traditionally a bard a lot of people associated with music but it can also be story driven and i've said that you know early on in the project um my my initial idea is that this particular item um will have a unique slot only to the bard um and in that sense it creates a very specific economic um impact on these on these um these items per se, because they're inherent only to one class. Uh, but there's a way we can kind of step that up in some, um, some different areas, but, um, this could be a quill. This could be a journal. It could be a book. It could be an instrument. It could be a sheet of music. It could be, you know, there's a lot of different things and each of them can house specific benefits that relate to the bard skill sets. So, um, you know, that's kind of my initial direction. There's some competing ideas and, and really the way we go through these, you know, class prototyping or these archetype prototyping is, is we segment the design or, or the engineering team into pods and they can, <coughs> they can go out and they can um, stand up within a week, the prototype of the class. And then I will sit down and Jeff will sit down and, and we'll take a look um, in the editor uh, what this feels like and what it looks like. Um, and give direction, scrap it, or move forward. That's awesome. awesome. I want to thank Luca from the community for this question, by the way, and before we hand it over to Faisal. So, Faisal, go ahead, sir. Okay, this question comes from TL. You kind of touched upon this, Stephen, 
like with the, with a previous question uh could toner look even and uh how much may they look like the ancients if any can tonar look i'm sorry can tonar look even avian oh avian bird like got it um yeah no no that's okay <laughs> um can they look bird like so the there is not <clears throat> excuse me there's not really an avian influence and there's a specific story reason why um when the apocalypse occurred the avian races that were considered sentient or minor races in vera really didn't think to go into the underrealm <laughs> their first in, their first inclination was take to the sky um so uh there are bastions that existed of the avian like races uh in ashes of creation on vera before the apocalypse and before the ma- the remaining major races and minor races fled to the underrealm um that held out essentially for a period of time uh but there's a specific reason why in alpha zero one of the first races you experienced as monsters or npcs uh, was a almost humanoid-esque avian bird race. And I don't know if you can recall them. You might want to go look them up. But um, um, the, this particular race is, I think, indicative of what happened to those avian races because they chose not to uh, go to the Underrealm. And there are some specific war reasons as to the leaders of those uh, minor races that chose not to do so, which will be revealed in future stories and quest lines. Amazing. So... Oh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I, I do appreciate the, the extra time today, Stephen. Um, everybody, all these questions were pulled from our Discord. I, I made a point this this particular time to pull from the community here, the ones that have been around uh, this particular show for nearly, oh, I don't know how long it's been now. It's been a while. Um, and Stephen, really appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you all have got to be. Um, you all have been doing some amazing things, bringing us stuff a lot quicker uh, than I think I had even anticipated. And I know you all have got a lot of things on the agenda for the testing phases coming up. Um, So before we kind of close this down, I got to talk about two things. One, y'all, Steven hadn't heard about the tanky McTanker face clips or (laughs) the master Mo Mana Magus. I'm actually going to send them to him after the show. It's can't wait. It's totally worth. uh, Yeah. Anyway, and this might be the end of the show today, y'all. But, you know, in closing, I want to make sure to remind everyone, whether you listen to the podcast, you watch it live uh, here on Twitch, catch it on YouTube, um, any of the podcast places. If you contribute, whether you're here live, uh, use your voice to lend uh, to our conversations. You are also an Ashes Pathfinder, right? You have the ones that are here on the roundtable conversation. You have the ones that just like all of you are here contributing to the discussion live while we're chatting or in comments like the ones we read earlier. Um, also keep in mind that you all can call in to one five three nine six six four six eight zero one to leave us a message, shoot us a message at our uh, Gmail, which is ashespathfinders at gmail.com. You can also catch us on Twitter at ashespathfinder without the S. And for this 100th episode, I want to give a massive shout out to Steven and Intrepid Studios who are bringing us all an MMORPG I truly believe we're going to be very proud of and for their commitment to the community and their vision. Uh, Seriously, hammers up and chat, everybody. Show them all the love that we can possibly give them. Um, Also, deepest appreciation to all the Pathfinders who have been on this show uh, to contribute their time and energy to the story we've written so far, to all of you who've gathered and and do tune in, um, that gather around the central flame uh, where this is brought to you week after week. 
I really do. I'm very humbled by everybody, um, but all the burning hearts, the rekindled flames that you, we can call it metaphorically if you want to. Uh, Daedalus, why don't you let everybody know your domains, where they can find you. All right. So you can find me on Twitter at The Ashen Herald and on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash The Ashen Herald. And Faisal. You guys can find me on Twitter as Bagel108 and on Twitch as Faisal108. <laughs> and Steven, man, anything you'd like to let all the community know before you sign off today, too? Uh, you can find us anywhere at Ashes of Creation. But... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, guys, We everybody at the studio loves our content creators. We love our community. And we honestly... There is no greater joy than being able to come on a show like this awesome show. A hundredth episode is unbelievable and amazing. Um, but, you know, our community is the reason why we do this. So um, you guys out there are amazing and we appreciate your love and support. And um, we will continue to do great work and keep you abreast of everything going on every step of the way. Amazing. Thanks so much. Much love, everybody watching today, listening. Uh, much love to all of you all. Much love to Intrepid Studios, and uh, this is just the beginning, friends. 100 episodes down, hundreds more to go. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Have a great week, friends. See you, everyone.